Well, hey there, Kairos. My name is Danny. I'm the campus minister at Hope Ames, also going to be a part of Kairos. We are moving into another week of our series called Asking for a Friend. It's a series that is all about questions. If you haven't checked out the talks on this series yet, I encourage you to check it out. They're stored on our YouTube page. And tonight, we're asking a really heavy question. It goes like this. What happens when I die? Whoa, really heavy, right? When we formed this, uh, this series, we reached out to you all and we said, what are the questions that you want to ask? Um, you know, if you could ask anything in a church setting, what would it be? And this is a question that kept on coming up. So we don't want to run away from it. But it's a difficult question to answer because we don't have a lot of personal testimony about what happens when you die. For example, I cannot stand here and tell you, well, based on personal experience, here's what happens when you die. Because, of course, when somebody dies, they're dead and they, they can't tell us what has happened. But what we can do is we can start in a healthy place by starting in Scripture, and we can see what the Bible tells us about what happens when we die, and we can see what Jesus tells us about what happens when we die. But let me be very clear here. People have been struggling with this question for a long time. What exactly happens when you die? Theologians have debated over it, and we agree on this. We agree that God has a really good plan for God's people. We agree there. That's great, right? Now, some of the details which aren't quite as important, but help get us to that really big final conclusion of God loves his people. God's going to take care of God's people. It gets us there. The details are some things that sometimes we wrestle, we get confused on, we worry about, we stress about. So I'm telling you this, the things that I'm going to be presenting tonight, these are the things that I have come to conclusions on based on what I have found in scripture. So maybe somewhere along the line, you've heard somebody say something else and that's okay. It's okay for us to talk about these things, to converse over them. But to know that in the end, God's in charge and God cares about God's people. And that, I think, can really bring us a lot of comfort when we think about death. We don't like to think about death, though, do we? I mean, the truth is that it's relatable to all of us because as living, breathing human beings, we know that someday we're going to get there unless Jesus comes back real soon. And so sometimes we think about death and we just kind of make a joke about it. Maybe if you're thinking about heaven from a Christian perspective, you see a comic like this, right? So somebody's sitting there and like, your fear is, well, when I get to heaven, I'm actually just going to be really bored. And so you're sitting in the clouds someday. I wish I'd brought a magazine. I don't know what you wish you would have brought. I've heard people say, you know, I'm kind of worried about heaven because it's this forever, final, infinite thing. What if I get bored? Talk about questions that we want to ask on behalf of a friend because, I mean, if we're in a church setting, surely we shouldn't be saying, what if I get bored in heaven? I do have good news for you. If heaven is a perfect place, which I do believe heaven is, being in the presence, the full presence of God, I don't, I don't think you're going to get bored. So there's good news there. But we're still asking this question, what happens when I die? Because that doesn't, you know, totally get us the answer. Maybe you won't be bored, but, but, but what happens? We shy away from this question, what happens when I die? Because we don't want to talk about death. I still can't get over this. I've said this before, but I'll never get over this. In hospitals, certain places, they won't mention the word death. Instead, they'll just say negative patient outcome. That's how much we don't want to talk about death. Well, you know, in in room 203 over there, we had a negative patient outcome. You mean they died? Yes, negative patient outcome. I mean, I don't blame people for not wanting to talk about it. It's rather unpleasant experience, isn't it? or rather unpleasant thought, right? And seems like a rather unpleasant experience because the truth is we want to get to a place after death, right? Like right now we're living right here. There's life and we like this. We like life. And then someday as Christians, we're really excited because as Christians, we believe in the resurrection of the dead. 
We believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And then so someday us as believers in Jesus, we will rise from the dead too. And so over here, there's this resurrection. Let me abbreviate that. So there's life and then there's resurrection. We think, okay, well, yes, I want to get there, but there's this rather unpleasant sounding experience called death right in the middle. What happens there? And for us, a lot of times we think that's absolutely terrifying. What does Jesus say about death? How did Jesus approach death? If Jesus is our leader, how should we follow his example? What does he say about this? Well, he says this in John chapter 11. He shows up to a funeral where someone has died. He shows up to his friend Lazarus' funeral. It's a sad scene. Jesus at this funeral, he cries. I mean, think about how relatable God is. God shows up in human form. That's relatable. But then God feels the things that we feel. At a funeral, God in the flesh cries. I mean, he feels the weight of death. It's a big thing. It's scary. It's frightening. We don't know what's on the other side. When we think about death, we think about darkness. What is this great unknown that I'm walking into? Jesus assures one of the sisters, though, at this funeral, the sister of, of the guy who died, his name is Lazarus, and Lazarus, and Jesus says to her, he says, listen, I, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. Jesus acknowledges death, but Jesus doesn't seem intimidated by death. Maybe you're sitting there and you're like, okay, well, I mean, that's easy for Jesus to say about somebody else's death. Because it's easy for me to think about somebody else's death. It's easy for me to think about all these people in history who have come before me. They've died, but I'm here now in the present and I'm just going to put off that thought of death. You know, I think that one of the greatest and one of the worst things that I get to do as a pastor, as a minister, and who gets to walk with people through all sorts of life journeys and the cycle of life, is sometimes I get to be with people when they're close to dying. In some ways, it's a great experience because it's a powerful experience. At other times, it's hard. I know that sometimes we like to pretend that as Christians, every single one of us, we're going to get to that moment of death and we'll just be ready. We'll just be excited about it. We'll just be like, oh yeah, you know, I, I know exactly what's going to happen. But I can tell you from my experiences with people who are close to that moment, some of them, sure, they're, they're ready. They're ready to move on. But there are other people who have been honest with me to say, I'm not ready for this. I don't want to die. I don't know what's coming. I don't want to do this. And maybe the biggest fear that you have when you're thinking about that is like, well, if I get to that point right before I die, I'm going to be so terrified and I'm going to be so consumed in doubt. And what if I'm so consumed in doubt that then when I do die, God rejects me because I was struggling with believing? Let me remind you of this. God saves you. You don't save yourself. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. In fact, faith insinuates doubt. If you're a person of faith, there are uncertainties to that. That's what faith is. Faith is believing in things that we don't have absolute physical evidence of in front of us. So doubt's not the opposite of faith. And if you're doubting, and if you've been around people who are doubting, or if you're worried about people that you've loved, and you're doubting for them, know this. God's the one who saves us. God embraces us. And God accepts our doubt. 
He says, just take it to me. I'll help you solve it. See, because Jesus, he knew when he was going to be facing his death too. For Jesus, it was not a pleasant experience. Think about Jesus' death. Jesus did not um, have a pleasant experience with death. He, he didn't live a long life. We assume he lived probably to about 33 years old. And if somebody dies at 33 years old, these days we say that's a tragic death. It's not like he died of natural causes. He died because he had a friend betray him who turned him in. He was accused on bogus charges. There was nothing that he could do. People misunderstood him. Jesus was put to death because he was misunderstood. And Jesus, the one who understands all things, understood that he was going to die. It was not a pleasant experience. And the night when he's about to be betrayed by one of his closest friends, he's sitting there with his disciples and he says this to them. He talks about the trouble of death. This is in John chapter 14. Jesus says this on the next slide. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Yes, in the face of trouble. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's home. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. In the face of death, and Jesus understood what was coming his way. He felt the weight of what was coming his way. In the scenes following this, Jesus, we see him in a garden and he is crying. He is under so much stress that he is sweating blood. He cries out to his father, hey, look, if there's any other way to do this, I'm all for it because this is going to hurt. He understands what's going to happen to him, but he also understands peace. He also understands that there is life after death. And he encourages us to take heart in that. A couple of chapters later, Jesus says, take heart. Look, you will have troubles in this world, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Isn't that cool? Jesus doesn't just say, well, I've overcome your troubles. He says, I've overcome the thing that's surrounding your troubles. Your troubles exist in this world. Your troubles are surrounded by the world and I've surrounded the world. It's almost like Jesus is looking at his friends. He's saying, we are going through this struggle and we are troubled. But oh, when you see the view, when you see the view, the troubles are inside the world and I, the world is inside of me. I've consumed it. I've overcome it. I've overtaken it. The world and its troubles work for me now. What a view that would be. And I know it, it, we got to get through that first to see it. And that's painful. Sometimes it's after we go through pain that we're able to really understand the beauty of what we're seeing. You know, one of the people that um, I was blessed to be along the journey with up until his death was a, was a man named Wayne. This was a couple of years ago, and it was not too long after I'd moved to Ames and started my job here. And I quickly bonded with this guy named Wayne. And I met him because I was going over to his house to visit him because he couldn't leave his house. He was in home hospice, but he was in home hospice for a very long time. And so we got to know each other. We had a lot of conversations, and he, and he told me about his childhood. And, and Wayne wasn't that old. I mean, he was, you know, he was, he was an older guy, but he wasn't that old. He was in his 70s. And so for most of us, I think we're like, oh, I'd like to live longer than 70s. But he knew what was coming his way. 
and he told me about his childhood and about some of his stories, and I realized, wow, there are troubles ahead of him, but there are many troubles behind him, too. Wayne told me that when he was a kid, he was abused. And he was hurt. Wayne was a little guy. Not necessarily because of genetics. Something happened in his genetics to make him smaller because all of his siblings and his family, they were large people. They were tall. They were big. They were strong. But, but Wayne was little. So the people around him, oftentimes when they were angry, would take their anger out on him. But Wayne told me, he said, you know, I'd be abused. I'd be hurt. I'd be broken. I mean, literally, physically, bones broken. And yet at the end of the day, he had something to look forward to. He loved sunsets. He loved sunsets. And so he'd say, it didn't matter what happened to me throughout the day. At least in that moment when I was watching the sunset, I could look at it and say, and he'd say, what a view. What a view. Oh, the troubles, the troubles, the troubles. And I still have this beauty to look at at the end of my day. I still have that. Now, let me be very clear here. This is not for me to tell you like, oh, well, don't worry. God's going to make it okay. So the troubles you're going through now, they don't matter. No, they do matter. They absolutely do matter. But Christ knows those troubles. And it's the people who we go through troubles with that when we do see the view, when we do see beauty, when we do see glory, oh, we want to share that with them. And we want to celebrate it with them because they understand the struggle that we went through to eventually get to the place that we're at now. It's not to say your troubles didn't matter. It's to say we went through them together. And now look what we have. Now, because of what we went through, because of what we have now, it's so much more valuable because I know pain. I know pain. And so now I know beauty. Wayne knew pain. And so perhaps more than others, as a young man, he knew beauty because he could very easily distinguish between the two. Jesus knew pain, but he also knew beauty. And he invites you and me to see that beauty too. Jesus, or Paul talks about Jesus in Romans. It's in chapter six where Paul, he says this. He says, and since we died with Christ, and we went through that struggle. We go through that struggle. But we do not go through that struggle alone. Christ is in the struggle with us. We know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. Isn't that cool? If Christ goes through the struggle with you, surely we know. If Christ loves us enough to go through the struggle with us, surely he loves us enough to be in the beauty with us. To look over it all and say, what a view. What a view. Hey, check this out. What a view. Wayne would tell me, he's like, man, if there's anybody around me at that time, you know, at the end of the day, and I'm looking over the sunset, I'd be like, come over, you gotta look at this. You gotta look at this. Come on, what a view. His wife, Linda, she told me that Wayne continued to do that throughout his entire life. He'd always, she'd always, she'd tell me that he'd always say to her at the end of the day, Linda, you gotta come check this out. Come on, please check this out. What a view. You get to enjoy that power with Christ. Death no longer has any power over Christ. Death does not have power over you anymore. But of course, that does not diminish the troubles because the Bible also tells us in 1 Corinthians, because we want to be very real here when we're answering this question, there is an order to this resurrection. It doesn't come without trouble. Christ was raised, at the, at, Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. And in order to be raised, 
means he had to die. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. So there's hope in there, but there's an order to it too. And that order to it, though, is sometimes what makes us the most frustrated, isn't it? Because there's life and there's resurrection. And then there's this thing in between. But a verse like that, we look at it while it gives us hope. There's also like this, but wait a second, what's this time in between? What's this time in between? Because the truth is, is sometimes in bad theology, we think, okay, well, I die and then I experience the fullness of everything that God wanted for creation. Not, not quite. Because you see, we die... And then it says Jesus died and Jesus experienced full bodily everything resurrection. But the rest of us have that full bodily resurrection when Jesus comes back. And and as we know, Jesus hasn't come back yet. So we're like, wait, 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 wait a second. What is life and resurrection? There's death. Is death just like this prolonged, awful? Like, ridiculously long experience? What about people who have been dead for thousands of years? What? What happens when I die? I mean, please do not make me, make me wait any longer to see the view. This has led to really bad theology throughout church history. Some people have said, well, you see, in, in this phase, there's this time of purification. And so you die, and before you can really experience resurrection. You died a sinful person. And and so then when you die, you have to be cleansed of the things that you died with before you can rise again. But do not underestimate the power of what happened on the cross. Do not underestimate the power of what happens in death. Let's go back to Romans chapter 6. What does it say about this? When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. He died once to break the power of sin. Do not underestimate the power of what Jesus did on the cross. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin. When you die, your sin dies. End of story. The power, the power of sin is death. But when we die, sin dies too. You don't need to be purified anymore because in the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, you've been purified. The one who is misunderstood but understands all things promises us, I am dying. And as I die with you, you can know that you will live with me too. But again, then we start to wonder, I'm like, okay, so what, what, if it's not a purification process, what's happening here? And we start to wonder, what, what, what's happened to my loved ones? What's happening, you know, the people that I love so much and they've died before me, I mean, what, are they, are they just sleeping? Are they just resting? Well, it's interesting. Actually, there have been a lot of people who have come up with theories on things like that where they say, well, you go into this thing called holy sleep or you just rest, you know, for, for years on end until someday when Jesus comes back. But in the meantime, you're, you're just kind of unconscious and you're, and you're sleeping and you're out of it. Now, let me tell you this. If that's true, you're still in good hands. If when you die and you completely go to rest and you go into this unconscious state of peace, someday you'll wake up and you will see God before you and it'll be great and you'll feel refreshed. I mean, you have been resting for who knows how long, right? And it'll just feel like a night. I mean, just a sleep, a nice, perfect sleep and you'll wake up refreshed. Don't get me wrong. If that's what happens, it's not, it's not bad news. The Bible talks about how, you know, we rest 
in death, there, there, there's, there's this rest. But what does the Bible mean by rest? What does the Bible mean when we think of when, uh, what, how does the Bible interpret this idea of, you know, holy sleep? Well, let's take a back, let's take a look through the Bible about what it says. In Genesis chapter two, it tells us first off that God rests. This is on the seventh day, God has finished his work of creation. So he rested from all his work. God created the world for six days and on the seventh day he rested and God didn't die. I also don't think God was sleeping. It just shows us right from the beginning that just a simply a part of the life cycle is rest. Okay, well, let's go ahead a little bit further into the Bible. This is still in the Old Testament. This is in Deuteronomy chapter 12. And this is telling us about the Israelites before they're going to enter this promised land this place where they, would, where they would flourish and enjoy everything that God had promised for them here on this earth. And he says, you have not yet arrived at the place of rest. The land, your Lord, uh, the land the Lord your God is giving you as a special possession. And so here's what we know about that, right? We know that rest for these people did not mean that they would simply be sleeping or unconscious, but it meant that they would have come to an end of their earthly pursuit for the land of rest. It meant that the journey was over. They could take peace in that. It didn't mean that they were unconscious. Maybe they sat and they would enjoy the beach. Okay, let's take a look again. This is in the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua talks about that land because the people are going to enter that land. They're experiencing it now for the first time. And it says the land had rest from war. Okay, so rest means to the end of a long, tiring, enduring journey. Rest also means the end of pain. Okay, let's take it a little bit farther. Here's what Jesus has to say about rest in Matthew chapter 11. This is a very famous passage. Jesus says to people, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Let me teach you and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus is not saying, come to me and just die. Jesus is saying, come to me and live with me. Come to me and be with me. Come to me and experience me. Come to me and rest because it's the end of this enduring, long, painful journey. Come to me because it's the end of your pain. You are now in safety. Come to me and live with me. Come to me because the painful burden is off your back. It kind of puts a new idea of what rest really means. Now, but let's talk about what, how Jesus directly, directly addresses what happens when we die. I mean, I hope it's restful. I hope that we do get that rest. I hope that it's, you know, finally a, a, a relaxing from the long journey, from the pain and from the work. You see, there was somebody who talked to Jesus about life immediately after death. Jesus was on the cross, but he wasn't alone on the cross. There was a criminal on either side of him. One of the criminals mocked Jesus. He said, come on, save us, save us, come on. And then there's this other criminal there and he sticks up for Jesus, which is kind of strange. This man's done nothing wrong. He doesn't owe anything to us. He shouldn't have to save us. We deserve to be here, but this man, he's innocent. And this man who doesn't really know much about Jesus, probably he's just seeing him. He looks over to Jesus and he says this to him. He says, Jesus... Remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
Jesus, I know I'm about to die. And I know you're going to die too. We're dying together. But when you die, I know that you're holy. I know that you've lived a good life. I know that you will be rewarded. So when you die, will you remember me? A few things I, I really want to point out here. We don't know what this criminal did. We just know he's probably had a complicated life. I mean, yeah, by the law, I guess he deserved to be on that cross, according to the law. But honestly, we're all very complicated. And every single one of us, complications and all, get to that place where we know, I'm going to die. I've been with people as they get closer to that moment and they get to that realization. It's happening to me. I'm going to die. And we, do, we, we need to get off of our high horses sometimes. When we look at people who are close to either physical death or they're close to just a death in their life, metaphorically speaking, the end of something, the loss of something, and we say, eh, you probably deserve it. You, you probably deserve it. You know, I mean, do you know that person's history? Do you know what they've done? That's a criminal. It's a criminal. Yeah, and I'm complicated too. But can't you empathize? Can't you have a heart for a human being who's approaching death regardless of their story? A human being who's approaching death and feels like the weight of the world has a knee on their neck. And that person knows they're going to die and they can't get out of it. You know, it was now a few weeks ago that George Floyd was killed. And the weight of another human being was crushing his neck. I was on a march a couple of weeks ago in downtown Des Moines and we came to a pause at one point and the leaders of the march invited us all to lay down face down on the concrete. It was hot. The concrete was hot. It was a painful experience, but my heart was hurting much more than my body because we laid on the concrete face down for eight minutes and 46 seconds, the same amount of time that George Floyd had another human being with his knee in George's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. And as we laid there on the ground, somebody was on a microphone and, and he was crying out the words that George Floyd said while he was being killed. And I had heard the story I'd seen it on the news. I'd seen pictures. But it became very real to me in that moment. My heart, I thought, was already going out to George Floyd and his family. And, but when I was laying on the ground and I heard somebody reciting the words that he said when he was dying, it changed things for me. I mean, it was powerful. It was moving, but it was painful. You know what he was saying? I know I'm going to die. He cried out to his mother, Mama! can't breathe. My stomach hurts. Everything hurts. They're going to kill me. And 
And I think one of the most disgusting things that we've seen in the past few weeks are the people who have come out and they've said, "Ah, yeah, but do you know about his history? I don't care what he did. It's a human being. And every single one of us is going to get to the place where we know we're going to die. It's a human being. That poor man. You know, I hope that someday in my death, it's just merely the weight of the world, but he had a weight of a man on him. As if that man knew that George deserved to die. We don't get a judge. We get to relate. We get to empathize. Because the truth is, is one day, (laughs) we're all going to know we're about to die. George's pastor, George Floyd, his pastor, came out and said, he was a part of my congregation. He just loved people. So what if he's a complicated guy? So am I. said George was on fire for Christ and he just wanted people to know and he invited people to church and he loved people. He called him a gentle giant. So what if he has complications in his life? So do you and so do I. And so does every single person who disagrees with us about what's happening in our world right now. Because if you think that the only people in the world who are being judgmental and the only people in the world um, who are oppressors and the only people in the world um, who are putting people to death either physically or metaphorically are the people that you disagree with, you've got to check yourself. We're all complicated. And maybe we're more complicated than we like to think. George Floyd, sure, he's a complicated guy, but he's a human being. He cried out to his mom. And we can empathize with that. And we can empathize with all the other people who are feeling the weight of George Floyd's death in a way that me, as a white person, I can't understand. And I know that I'm talking to a lot of university and college students from Iowa, and we know the demographics of Iowa, 90% white. So I know a lot of you who are hearing my voice right now, we need to be reminded, everyone's complicated. It's not our job to judge. It's certainly not our job to bring somebody to their death, physically or metaphorically, because that's a place where we all meet. All of humanity meets at death. But here's the beautiful part. All of humanity meets at death, and God meets us in death. The criminal didn't know who else to cry out to. He said, everything hurts. Jesus, they're going to kill me. Remember me. 
And Jesus looks back to him and says, Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. I'm not just saying this because it's convenient or because it's what I want to happen, but Jesus is talking to someone who's at the very beginning of his faith journey. I don't think Jesus is mincing words when he says, today, you will be in my presence. Today, we will be together and you will know it. Today, you will be with me in paradise. And so maybe we're scared about this jump from life to resurrection and what's happening here. Here's what you know for sure. In the middle of it, Christ is in there with you and you are with him. You will be in paradise. You will be in peace. You will be with Christ. You will be in the presence of God. And your, your soul will be alive. Oh, your body will be resting because your body will someday be resurrected again, but your soul will be alive. And that brings me great comfort because death has lost its power over me and death has lost its power over you. In the book of Revelation, where it talks about the end of all things, even after death, like life after life after death, there's this passage, it's in Revelation chapter four, and this guy named John, he writes about this vision that he gets of, well, life after the end of all life. He says, I saw a throne in heaven and, and someone was sitting on it. And with everything that's happening in the world right now, it is so reassuring to me to hear that someone is sitting on the throne. It doesn't feel like it. It feels like it's empty. It feels like people are trying to steal it. It feels like someone who doesn't deserve to sit in the throne is sitting in the throne. Who's there? But John says confidently, no, I saw a throne in heaven. In the throne in heaven, the only one who could sit in the place in the throne of heaven, he's sitting there and he's still in control. It might feel like everything's gone. It might feel like everything's lost. It might feel like everything's dead, but someone is still on the throne. The promise remains true. Someone is still there. And who gets to go before the throne? Well, if all of humanity meets in death and God meets us in death, who gets to meet him at the throne? Revelation chapter seven, let's continue. It says this, I saw a vast crowd too great to count. It's from every nation, every tribe, people and language standing in front of the throne before the lamb with Christ, with Jesus. Maybe we like to put people out of our lives because they're complicated. I don't know. I think we should probably get used to being around one another because for all of eternity, according to the Bible, we'll be together. I knew Wayne really pretty much all the way up to his death. Wayne is here, right? And there's a lot of mystery about what this is. But I gotta think that the one who went with him through every single struggle and every single pain, when Wayne was being abused, he knew that <laughs> there was one, and his name was Jesus, who was right there with him taking every single hit. 
And I don't know, I just like to imagine that when Wayne got there, Christ looked at him and said, hey, wait till you see this sunset. What a view. Because in Revelation chapter 21, it says, look, <laughs> that's Wayne and that's his wife, Linda, looking at a sunset. God's home is now among his people. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. What happens when I die? There's a lot of mystery to it. But sorrow, crying, pain, racism, injustice, division, and even death will be dead. But we will be alive because we will be with Jesus. What happens when we die? We're with God. We are with God, the one who comes to meet us. Amen.